Sports. Welcome to the Fallon Format. Fallon. Your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the the uh, home of the Iowa State Fair and everything you could possibly not want to eat on a stick. <laughs> hey, before we uh, talk, uh, get into our content here, folks, I want to take a second to thank the uh, local businesses that helped make this program possible. Thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures great and small for over 30 years at Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines between Locust and Grand. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street. Uh, authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with very friendly, helpful service at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. Finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant, located at 7500 uh, University Avenue, Clive. Excellent Indian food from both the north and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, so um, we had a uh, quite an event at Ritual Cafe this uh, past weekend. Um, it was a celebration of the five-year anniversary of the Great March for Climate Action stopping in Des Moines. It stopped in Des Moines at Ritual Cafe. And so literally five years later to the hour, we celebrated that fact and also um, talked about the presidential campaign. And we took a straw poll. 259, 259 ballots were cast. And, uh, you know... This is a climate-friendly crowd. I mean, yeah, bold Iowa, climate march, obviously. So maybe the results will surprise you. I shall now read them to you. In first place, in the uh, bold Iowa straw poll, uh, Elizabeth Warren with 16.6%. In second place, Bernie Sanders with 12.7%. Third, Kamala Harris, 10.4%. Pete Buttigieg at... 9.7% in fourth place, followed by Jay Inslee with 8.5%, Cory Booker 8.1% just behind him, and then Tulsi Gabbard in seventh place with 6.6%, followed by Joe Biden, and then Julian Castro, Andrew Yang, Kirsten Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, etc. So that was an interesting... Um, you know, what interested me most was the fact that Jay Inslee didn't, like, walk away with it because he is the climate candidate. We need to talk about that more, and we will talk about that more. But first, I want to welcome Mark Clipsham to the show. Uh, Mark uh, uh, is, uh, does lots of interesting things, including builds homes that are designed for how we need to live in the new climate era. And uh, he also has some strong thoughts about food consumption. <laughs> Mark, where do you want to start? Oh, can of worms. <clears throat> no, off, is that part of your food consumption well, or one of your building materials? No, absolutely not. Okay. I'm sure. Actually, kind of cans are kind of my building. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was people's often misperception or my observation is what I call professed intent versus observable results. And now I feel like I'm going to step in it because some of your sponsors are vegetarian restaurants. No, no one is, one is a, a vegetarian a restaurant. I'm a vegan. One is a vegetarian restaurant. <clears throat> so, vegetarian, great idea. Uh, my observers, I believe the professed intent is better health and possibly ethical treatment of animals. Maybe that's tied There's into... There's a range of, uh, range of intent, I think. Yes, well, vegetarians are vegetarian choice. for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm vegan for a number of different reasons. Right. But, but the point being... The dairy cows, they don't go to a retirement farm. They are invariably turned into hamburger, maybe pet food. Uh, laying chicken, same thing, so you eat your eggs. Once again, chicken nuggets, chicken broth, chicken soup, and that's pet food. that's why you're a vegan? Uh, a lot of it has to do with health. Okay. My cholesterol is down, or my LDL is like down below 60 now. Right. I lost about 20 pounds. Yeah. Uh, I don't worry about keeping my kitchen from being contaminated, which is kind of a weird idea to bring things into your kitchen to contaminate you. Right. I don't have to worry about which knife I'm using for what or, you know, I, 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 I never worry hands. about that either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one moment I'm cutting up... Uh, Chicken or oh, excuse me, you said vegetarian. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm an omnivore. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and I, all, but all all the meat I consume comes from people I know and trust, local farms. 
uh, raising uh, raising uh, animals uh, or, organically without uh, without genetically modified crops involved. Um, I feel good about that. I'm okay, okay about well, that. let's go to this. I don't feel good about confinements. I well, then that's in in my reckoning different shades of gray. Let's go, for example, to the second part, which I was going to cover. I have to do this very quickly, which is the professed intent of healthcare versus health. Okay, so I'm eating grass-fed beef. Uh, my chickens have massages every afternoon, whatever. That's still <laughs> saturated fats. Uh, they're still... Chickens eat grain, invariably monocropping. It's very labor-intensive. The idea is to raise a pound of beef, it takes seven pounds of grain. On the other hand... If not, if you, not if you're grass-fedding those beef. I, the, That's a really horrible uh, sentence. Not if, those, not if those cows eat grass. There we go. For, for the world to... And mind you, I'm going to jump shark here a little bit. And, and, you know, if I was out hunting and a deer or something like that... I don't have a problem with that. But to sustain our meat consumption in this country on grass-fed beef, I oh, think yeah, you well. would turn all of Iowa, first off, take yeah, all the monogram you'd, out. You'd probably want to cut back. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And we eat way too much protein. Uh, I have no lack for protein. I don't even think about it. Um, yeah. I just eat whatever I want to eat, and I'm healthy. I feel good. So, I don't know. As I was telling you or discussing with you, I think I wrote you an email. I go to the clinic, get my checkup, get my blood work, whatever. I am sitting in the waiting room, and I have this conversation with my doctor on a regular basis. I say, you know, 80 to 90% of those people in that waiting room are there because of bad diet and lack of exercise. Oh, yeah. And they go, they go, yep. Well, before I walked across the country, I went in for a physical. This was five years ago, and uh, – and, uh, my doctor asked, so what medications are you on? I said, well, none. And they were shocked. Yeah. She, she and the, uh, the the other staff there were shocked. I, I mean, I, I was shocked that they were shocked. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's I, – I, I, I understand I don't take plenty any of, stuff anywhere like that. There are plenty of reasons why people do need medication. I get that. But it's we're, we're, we're highly over-medicated. And, again, my belief is that if you – for the most part, again, there are, there are certainly exceptions. But for the most part, if you're eating right, exercising correctly, living – you know, getting enough sleep, you know, you're, you're probably going to be able to take care of most of your health needs, which is that's again, your healthcare regimen. I, yeah. I don't other than so, routine. Look, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the diet, for example. I used to have acid reflux really bad. I mean, first I thought that's I had enough it. detail, but go ahead. I, well, I mean, I, I would be afraid <laughs> to go back to sleep. I'd have to oh, wow. prop myself up, you mm. know, like choke kind of stuff. Yeah. Quit dairy. Last day I read reflux. Ever. Hmm. Five years ago. Love like, dairy, don't have a problem. But anyway, I get well, that. <laughs> well, so, but, but I, I, every now and again, I'll listen to commercial radio yeah. or television, and I'll, you know, I ate three pizzas. You know, somehow there's a source of pride, and I feel horrible. Well, take this pill. Well, I have yeah, an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about we don't eat Change your three diet. pizzas? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, and it's, it's chronic. People seem to think that that pill is going to take care of that. It's a Band-Aid. No, there, there's this chronic stressor. Uh, with immunology and that kind of thing that over time leads to very bad health conditions. So let's switch gears for a bit here before we run out of time. You you um, you, you build. Yes, homes. yes. And you build homes with a, a different kind of home construction with a different uh, set of values in mind. Tell us about v- that. Very much so. My... I love the system. It, it has problems not in its, in its physical nature but the marketing aspect of it. It's so potentially profitable and so what people want if I put them on the market they will be sold for market rate which makes them unaffordable there's no reason they shouldn't be affordable it has come to my attention in the last couple of years why affordable, it's a global crisis we don't have affordable housing let alone high performance, no maintenance it turns out it's really not in the city's best interest the City councils are invariably have a fair number of people with the building community, developers. If you offer affordable housing and you can build it for way under market cost, that lowers the average cost of a home in that city. Why is that not a good thing? Because then people can't qualify for loans as easily for the typical builder. So you're <coughs> saying it's, it's bad for banks? It's, and it makes, quote-unquote, makes the city look bad. It makes the city look less, the city? less it, affluent. Higher-priced oh, okay. homes mean people make more money. It, it, it looks good right. for the economy. 
I proposed right. some so of my high-performance, low-cost homes to the mayor of a city near me at <laughs> seven, 800 square feet. Like I said, high-performance, it's hard to find an HVAC system small enough to be efficient. They're so efficient. They're no maintenance for 80 years. You put them on 30 by 70 foot lots with an alley, uh, you know, not what's much. A, what's these, the square footage again? Uh, home, seven, 800 square feet. Okay. And these are very popular. There's a big movement for these. Right. I was told, I think I can quote, I don't really see a place for these in our town. There are zoning laws that forbid innovative building. Right. They're and called when you, compatibility you see, zoning When you say innovative, you're not just talking about size. You're talking about other design. Building materials, well. aesthetics. Building materials, such as? Aesthetic. I use, I know it sounds weird, but you got to look at them. There's homeowner mom and pop ones, and then there's mine. I use a double grain bin. I shrink the diameter of the inside. I leave the outside the regular size with an oversized roof for an overhang. You put all your doors and windows and so, floors in so it. The, so the grain bin is the essential exterior structure of the home? Correct. There's no oh. framing in it. Whatsoever. It's called a SIP, a structural insulated panel. Right. This is a monolithic one, so there's no superstructure. How many of these have you built? I have designed probably 30 of them. They tend to like much bigger square footages. I have. How many square feet is a grain bin? It depends what the diameter is. Well, sure, okay. Hang on, let me get to the punchline. Okay, right, so punch you get your doors and windows away. and your floors, and then you pour structure foam in the roof, walls, everything. The performance of these is about two and a half times as much as a Yeti cooler. I mean, like, well, there's zero. I'm familiar with Yeti coolers. Those are pretty amazing. They are. Yeah. You, like I said, they're just so, amazingly high performance. And then I discovered that... So they're, they're less expensive to heat and cool. Very much. And but, no maintenance uh, for... But is there like enough air circulation where you aren't building up bad air inside? Uh, first off, there's no off-gassing because everything's okay. contained in steel. It has come to my attention. I just did a recent set of renderings to where now we're cladding them in stone and brick and things like that. Because the homeowners associations, once again, they want them to all look the same. You know, they want all, all the green bins to look the same. No, they no. want all their houses. <laughs> they, they don't even want metal roofs. They want asphalt shingles or you know some very. How do they feel about life. solar panels on roofs? <clears throat> oh, are you kidding? Those are hideous. Why would they want? Well, but, doesn't, but doesn't I know Ames uh, offers a rebate for homes that uh, they are slowly making progress. Trying to get rid of it, and they just yeah. put in a they they <laughs> pass a solar farm. So it's it's uh, remote located. It's hooked into the power so grid. So to discourage people from putting it on their own homes. I have something to that effect. My mm. my tenant in life is relative to health care, energy, ethanol, for example, is let's get rid of the cause rather than band-aiding the effect. Let's not solve the problem. Let's get rid of the problem. I want a city I can walk in, not a city with solar panels, to power my electric car that still has tires, that still has a parking lot, still has streets, still has street lights. Well, you, you know, you're not opposed to solar panels. You just, no, no, no. You, just want, you, you, you would rather see individual homeowners and businesses, schools, <clears throat> other buildings have their own. Is that I'm right? saying I rather than institutionalize okay. poor planning, mm -hmm. let's have a better planned city. I was talking with several people in Ames about that. It said, rather than putting solar panels over the parking lot, why don't we build over the parking lot? And then as selling the air rights, one of the requirements being you need to put solar panels on top of your building. So now I've mm. increased the density of the development in downtown. I've increased the tax revenue. I've made it more walkable. And at some point, we've reached critical mass to where there's going to be enough people living downtown that we can get rid of the parking lots. Now we're going to infill those with commercial. I would think, I would think most cities would appreciate that perspective. I mean, there's a lot of talk about increased density, about increased walkability, about, yep. uh, about, a lot of talk. Move, about moving from Lots and lots of talk. Okay. Yes, and affordable housing, too. Yeah, but you're saying that there's talk, but then the, uh, the there's, there's a disconnect between the conversation and the reality of what you need to do to get to the... You know what's really division. incredibly profitable? Inefficiency and waste. It, it, it's amazingly profitable. Yeah. Why uh, is that? Because it uses materials and energy and things like that, which is you mark it up, okay, it sure. gobbles yeah. up land. Sure. Uh, land subdivision is the most lucrative aspect of development. So mono mm -hmm. zone subdivisions that are dependent on vehicles, that's not going to change until you put a tax on it. By the way, the infrastructure is then paid for by the residents of the city, 
not by the developer. They put it in, city takes it over, taxpayer pays for it. Eh. So, so they get to charge it, more for the development and then don't have to pay for the, the fallout. If people want to get more information about your style of, uh, of home development, uh, is, there, is, that, is that something you're willing to share? And, sure. Okay. Um, I am working on my website right now. I just had, like, I had some new renderings done. They vastly improved my website tools, so it's going to take me a little while to figure those out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm right. going to use the old ones. Uh, so I'm in the process of adding more images. These are adorable. I mean... You could not begin to afford to build these with traditional construction. They have stone on them. I'm looking at sixty bucks a square foot. Okay. You could sell them for a hundred, maybe a hundred and ten. So if people want to go to your website, what is that? Oh, architecturebysynthesis.com. Architecture by synthesis. As opposed to compromise, which is what I normally say. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's that's where the name came from. Well, I appreciate your out of the box thinking and acting and uh, and construction, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you continue to find uh, converts both within the uh, general populace and also within the uh, within the elected universe uh, that may be a bigger challenge I, I, I am working on a development right now an eco development it's where I want to live I don't want to make a million dollars I want to make a world be part of a world that's a blast to live in I you know neighbors you know walking yeah. just like why can't I live in paradise well, rather I, I, than again most cities are talking about this so yeah it's, talk it's, talk yeah. they've been talking about affordable housing in that city near me that you mentioned earlier for ever since I've lived here which is about twenty eight years yeah. and then they want to put the affordable housing affordable housing has to be near services shopping and jobs if it's sure. not it's not affordable housing no. and these things are nowhere near them. Yeah. I, I, I once again the total disconnect between the professed intent and the observable results. And by the way, nothing's really happened. They think affordable housing has to be subsidized. I think it needs to be profitable. Yeah. That's what I'm working. That on. sounds like a really good, solid capitalist perspective. Capitalist, yes. No, that's the way it works through capitalism. I don't yeah. want socialism. I want people to be strong. America will be great again when people are independent. But you don't want to be a millionaire either. No, I don't. That's fair enough. Actually, why I don't need a billion (laughs) dollars. I just need what I need to get by. There's a saying, if I'm happy with a little, enough will seem as a feast. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Mark Clips from folks. And uh, when we come back from a short break, uh, we're going to continue the conversation about housing, about uh, about food a little bit maybe, and about sustainability in the in, in the big sense. So we'll be back in a minute, folks. David Houston will join us. Thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. See you in just a sec. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. 
Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Ronnie Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant at 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698. Brother Trucker, folks, and we're back to our conversation here on Lorena 1260 AM, 96.5 FM here in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Uh, just a quick review again. Uh, the uh, straw poll, the bold Iowa straw poll of presidential candidates was, um, well, 259 votes cast and uh, Elizabeth Warren the winner, 17%. Sanders at 13%. Let's see. Harris at 10%. Buttigieg, 10%. Inslee, 8%. Booker, 8%. Gabbard, 7%. That rounds out the top of the field. Interesting. Interesting. We'll talk more about that in the very final segment of the program today. With me in the studio, David Houston. Uh, homes for my peeps. Uh, David doing some amazing work uh, in the inner city of Des Moines, my, uh, my former, where I lived for a long time, and uh, great many fond memories of my, my many years living there. And uh, you've been doing good work, and, of course, there's nothing like um, doing good work to ignite pushback. <laughs> mm, right, right. And you found some pushback. I have, man. Uh, so I've got this house on 8th Street, 1609 8th Street, I've had for uh, some time, maybe five years. Uh, and it's been a struggle for myself and the organization to, to get help uh, to finish it. So just recently, the city has come and taken usable building materials, around $13,000 worth of usable building material. They said they were coming to clean up the yard, uh, but left everything that you would think that they what, would come. What did they leave? Well, they left all the debris, like uh, the siding. They left, you know, the little helicopters that from uh, when spring comes, they fall from the trees. And Ma- they, maple seeds. Maple seeds, yeah. yeah. So we used to put those on, my, on our noses as kids. Yeah, well. <laughs> right around like rhinoceroses. <laughs> yeah, well, they're growing on the side of my house uh, just randomly. So along with the uh, other building material that was demoed from the house that they were telling me that I needed to clean up, they actually left. And went on. They had me move my usable building material from my driveway. They just they wanted it moved from my driveway, so we moved it from the driveway on top of the shipping container. Hmm. And they went and so they they moved. They took the wrong stuff. They took the well, yeah, yeah. And and so did they return it? No, they didn't. I went down and talked to uh, Vince, uh, and he asked me to 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 fill out a a claim. So I've done that. I'm in the process of waiting to see how they respond. My my issue and concern is that I don't think I, I feel I've been a victim, uh, and I just want to put this out and see if anyone else has right. uh, experienced something like this and see if we can 
try to do something to stop it. $13,000 worth of buildable material, that's a lot of material, Absolutely. especially for a, Absolutely. You know, a, a, a small nonprofit like yours. Mm-hmm. Do they do they have are they holding this ransom? Did they already put it in a landfill? What, we were on? told it was put in the landfill. Now, usable building material, what kind of the, the rationale isn't be you know pretty wasteful. Yeah, yeah, right. And then how much is in the landfill <clears throat> that doesn't need to be in the landfill? So yeah. So blows what, my mind. They, they were they, was there an ar- were they arguing that the property was uh, a nuisance? Uh, they 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 have just recently declared it a, nu- a nuisance. Uh, I, I believe the neighborhood association and, and a neighbor or two have had issues with the house being uh, vacant for some time. Hmm. Uh, again, we are a grassroots organization, so we're we're doing this by the hair of our chins. So we don't have a lot of money. Uh, we've had to have uh, a volunteer day, uh, which that was awesome. Uh, the rest of the, the the scope of the work has been all by myself. You know, I've demoed it. I've had friends come and help uh, with with my uh, foundation wall and help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, a cleanup where we stacked the bricks on top mm-hmm. uh, or, or on the side of the the shipping container from the old foundation. So, yeah, we've, we've had... And part of your approach is, is, to, is to create homes in poor neighborhoods that, yeah, that absolutely. are affordable, but that are also uh, designed more sustainably. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We find uh, – I have found that – so I graduated from Roosevelt High School in 96, and I uh, went to Southern University and graduated in 2002. And I came back in 2000 – came back to Des Moines in 2010. So that entire time I've been gone, I've noticed, you know, the changes – and then the the things that hadn't changed. And in 2010, 2011, I started putting out these letters to who I thought were shakers and movers and, and activists or who I thought wanted to change the city, uh, reached out to them and didn't get any response back. So I've been on my own for a long time. So I'm yeah. looking for... Yeah. A, and how many properties have you worked on so far? Uh, well, I've worked on a number of properties in terms of so if you, 3311 Cottage Grove is a house that was a duplex that we actually converted into a single family unit. Mm-hmm. That house is exactly what we want to do to 16098 Street. We've installed solar panels. We've uh, made it a single family unit. Mm-hmm. We've beautified it. If you drive by it, uh, the owner, she's... Uh, we in the front yard. We've got like uh, native plants mm-hmm. all out through, through the front mm-hmm. yard. Uh, she's a sweet old lady, Deanna uh, Leo. Um, uh, yeah, so and, yeah, and she helps that that house yeah. on thirty on Cottage Grove is a house that. And na- native plants are great for many reasons. Uh, they they cut down on watering. Absolutely, on yeah, mowing. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They're yeah. beautiful with all the flowers, and yep. you, and you've got to, you help the pollinate pollinators with yep, that. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, you 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 stabilize the soil much much more effectively, mm-hmm. and you don't you don't just have a monoculture. No, which, no. Yeah. So, well, that's that's pretty interesting, um, and 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 disturbing that you're having. You would think that there would be more help for somebody Absolutely. doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Be, e, yeah. Even even so, personally, I feel like okay, I graduated from. I, I was reared here, right? So right. I take this real personally. Mm-hmm. And at Roosevelt, they told me, you know. Graduate, become a good citizen, get a job, blah blah blah, and then come back and give back to your community. I did exactly that, mm. and I'm getting faced with the the city's been to that that specific property more than once. They've taken cars, uh, they've taken the usable building materials. They've went inside the house to take uh, materials such as a tub. Oh, so they just broke in? Yeah, well, that's legal. I'm not sure if it's legal. <laughs> it I, I, didn't, legal I, didn't, I didn't think it was legal that no, they could take I, I, your stuff off your property. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, so obviously they're doing something within the, within the ramifications to allow them to do it. I just don't know mm. what that is. So I'm 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 hoping I can, based on you know today's little uh, podcast and other things that I plan to do in the future, that I can get help to get this house done, so that yeah. people can know and uh, actually well, I, see what it is that I, we I think, are, you know, are as, doing. As, as per our, the discussion with our previous guest too, there, you know, there is this kind of a conflict between what's being said and what's being done, and there is, I mean, I think there are some good things being done uh, in terms of cities trying to become more sustainable, more walkable, more uh, you know, providing more affordable housing. But in your case, you know, there's. It's just one of many examples where they're going 
they're they're becoming punitive instead of helpful. Well, well, you yeah. said the things uh, uh, affordable housing to to who is that is that affordable to the poor uh, or is that is that affordable to the bottom bracket of the the medium in- income people right. or the bottom bracket of the elite? Well, yeah. who who is it affordable for? Yeah. So it should be affordable for the poor. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing that I. I see being reared here and then going to school in Southern uh, Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, being gone for a long time, being down there with the, my, my people, coming back and seeing what's going on and wanting to have that change. And the, the, the people that are say, that say they're behind efficiency and sustainability, it, it shouldn't have to cost an arm and a leg yeah. to, to do what we're trying to do. Right. You know, that to, from an architect's perspective, a degreed architect's perspective, there's too many hands in the pot. So the immediate fix for your problem is that the city needs to either give back the materials they took or compensate you for that loss. Uh, and then maybe find a way to work with you to make sure the property you know, isn't going to be, you know, for your you know, put, putting some of the burden on you to make sure the property is not going to be problematic for the neighborhood. But also to try to maybe identify sources of revenue that can help with projects like, you know, it's um, it seems to me like some of these bigger nonprofits are really effective at landing those government grants to do housing. Mm-hmm. And yet when it comes to the small entre- entrepreneurial or in your case, you know, local guy, <laughs> it's harder for that to happen. Yeah. And uh, that's not right. And um, maybe part of the part of your challenge might be to find the right people within city government. Mm hmm to get them to go to bat for you. And, and you know, there's Absolutely. no better place to, to target than the elected officials. Those right. are the folks who, uh, you know, they often defer to staff, but staff aren't really accountable to you. They're mm-hmm. accountable to the city manager, to the city, yeah. you know, to, to, their, to their own, you know, particular supervisor and eventually to the city council. But mm-hmm. if you get the city council on your side, you know, mm-hmm. have, you, have you had any, any luck there at all with any of the folks on the council? I, I've, I'm going to throw uh, Josh Mandelbaum's name out there. We've, we've talked. He's been uh, helpful? Uh, we, we've talked. We, we went to the same high school, and I'm trying to see if there's some synergy there uh, mm-hmm. and see what we can do as, as uh as young, hungry, inspired individuals that want to make ch- true change yeah. in, in, the, in the community, in the well, city. He, he certainly is young, hungry, and inspired. Yeah, yeah. And he's done a lot of good work on sustainable energy mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I hope, I hope that, that, uh, that pans out better for you. Because, yeah, I do too. Because you've done, you've done, it's not like you're just some, you know, you're, and again, not to, not to disparage newcomers. I think we've we got new, newcomers who just step up and tackle their first project, we should be supporting them as well. Absolutely. You know, and, um, and but you're not a newcomer. You've been doing this for no, a while. No, I and mean, here's <laughs> the know, thing, too. Like, you got a track record. Absolutely. Here's yeah. the thing, too. So, like, to there's there's a lot of uh, unwarranted w- violence in the community, right? There's not there's not a lot of uh, community centers anymore. So, mm-hmm. the, so the youth is, are, are, is, is, are lost and... Yeah, the, the youth are lost to a degree. So what I'm getting at is this organization brings more to the table than just uh, a home building and remodeling organization. Mm-hmm. Like we aim to change the environment, the environment by by being meaning our organization is just, you know, uh, home to us is more than four walls and a roof. Yeah. Home is your temple. Mm. And if you, if you eat in the right, if you feed, eat, if you're feeding yourselves, your body will do what it needs to do. If you're feeding your body Cheetos and 7-Up, you're going to be out in them streets wilding out, making crazy decisions. So this organization is saying it all starts at home. And at home, we mean the four walls and the roof. But before that, you had your temple. So if you get your temple right, your home will follow, and then everything else will fall in line with that. So we are, we, we are, my man earlier said, uh, we're saying we're the cure. We're not a suppressant. Our organization, we aim to cure what is going on in our community. Right. And part of your part of your design philosophy too is that the 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 exterior of the property should be a place where you've got you, you're you're growing some of that healthy food that you need. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. How's that, how's that worked out of some of the other places you've been working? On? Grand, grand. We've got we've got eight gardens fully growing right now. We've, we're using every inch of uh, the green space that we can if there's a driveway and there's like two feet of grass on the side of the driveway and a fence we use that mm-hmm. to, to garden we use uh, 
uh, a front yard that's maybe five by five has a patch of grass. We've we've put a, a vertical worm farm on mm. there. Uh, just a hoop house in the back on a, on an old uh, twenty by fourteen slab. So mm. these Good. there's things that we're trying to do in the city that we are doing in the city that we're trying to to uh, showcase and 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 get shine more light on what it is that we're doing because yeah. a lot of people really don't know and haven't seen what we're doing because we are such a grassroots you know yeah. media getting people to come and 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 showcase your stuff i'm not a good guy on the phone so i know that but uh, but i'm looking for volunteers and anyone willing to help uh this true grassroots organization get off the ground yeah well you certainly have my encouragement i thought yeah i appreciate you've done, that you've done, i've known you a while you've done good work yep. and you're yep. doing you're still doing great work and Thank you. um hopefully there'll be some uh some resolution with the conflict with the city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if people on. want to get a hold of you and get involved, help out. Yeah, five one five eight six seven zero zero two nine or eight six seven zero zero two nine eight six seven zero zero two nine or david at homes for my peeps dot org and that's homes h o m e s the number four my m y p e e p s dot org homes for my peeps love it all right. David, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Folks, when we come back, uh, Joe Henry's going to join us. We're going to talk. Well, with Joe, you never quite know where the conversation is going to go, but I have a feeling there's been some stuff happening on the immigration front that we're going to dig into today. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, uh, broadcasting from Lorraine at 1260 AM, 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa. Quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service, Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant located on East 5th and Walnut, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They've also got a booth at the Farmer's Market where Hawk serves breakfast wraps. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage at 6th and College. That's my... That's my uh, my go-to place for the um, the incredibly bad, uh, bad um, battered beater that I have. Anyway, Sergeant's Garage. They'll always uh, always keep it running for me. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance located at 1541 East Grand. All your insurance needs under one banner. No appointment needed. That's Diversity Insurance. And finally, thanks to Community CPA. Uh, founded by Ying Tsai with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. All your tax and accounting needs, folks, give Ying Tsai a community CPA a shout. All right, so welcome back to the program. And with me in the studio now, Joe Henry. Uh, Joe is with uh, LULAC. League of United Latin American Citizens. Yeah, the League of United Latin American Citizens, uh, which is one of uh, several organizations that have been making um, making their presence known in the Iowa caucuses. And, uh, you know... It seems like the the candidates are paying a lot more attention to the Latino vote than they ever have been had before. Right, as they should be, because the Latino vote is growing. Uh, when we look at the presidential elections that are going to happen next year, 159 million people are going to be voting, compared to 139 million in 2016. 159 Latinos. Sixty million of the hundred fifty-nine million. Sorry, gotcha. Well, let, yeah, let's back. Okay. Yeah, let's yeah. Back sorry. Up. Okay. Eighteen percent of the next uh, round of voting. Okay, gotcha. In two thousand twenty, up from what percent? Will be from the Latino community. Up from what percent four years ago? Oh, well, we're probably. I would say that's going to be another uh, ten million voters. Okay. Added to the voter file. Nothing to sneeze at. No, nothing at all. So you know, our, we're going to make our voices heard. You know, our vote is our voice. So, uh, come next year, we're mobilizing right now here in Iowa, uh, and just kind of backtrack, 60 million Americans are Latinos. Right. So that's one out of, out of every five Americans. So uh, clearly, um, we have things that we're concerned about. We're going to make our voices heard. We're going to fight back this hate rhetoric that's going on. And here in Iowa, ground zero because of the Iowa caucuses. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we have anywhere from uh, let's say 20 to 30 percent of the caucus goers will be from the Latino community. So higher than the national around. average even. Oh, yes. And most people's impression of Iowa is rural, white, hardly any minorities. But I think people aren't aware that, uh, that yeah, we do have significant minority populations here. And they tend to be involved with the Democratic side of the political spectrum. 
and that Latinos mm-hmm. are now the largest, by, by, by quite a margin, the largest minority population in Iowa. Exactly. What, Close 6%, to 7%? Close percent? It's getting up to 7% now. Yeah. So, yeah, and we have to look at, you know, Iowa is changing. You know, you say majority white, but now it's down to 15, 85% of the Iowa population is white. So right. we got 15% that's minority. But then when you look at school-age kids, oh, yeah, 500,000 kids, 20% are from minority communities, most are Well, Latino. in some cities, uh, Des Moines is what? 27%. Well, it's higher than that, well, really. Well, in some ways, I okay. guess. And there are some, some smaller, mid-sized cities in Iowa where Latinos make up the majority, the vast majority of the student population. Marshalltown, 57%. Perry, Denison, yes, Columbus Perry, Junction, Buena yeah. Vista, yes. So we're uh, we're a growing community here in Iowa, and we've really helped out uh, many small communities in Iowa, especially during the recession. So And growing, and maybe, maybe, not, maybe I, I have not seen the pushback here in Iowa, but certainly we have seen uh, horrible things directed against Latinos nationwide, the most most horrific, perhaps, and certainly the most recent is what happened in El Paso, Texas. Correct, correct. And we we uh, mobilized some marches <laughs> that occurred this last week in, yeah, in El, in El Paso. Good. So yeah, we want to make our voices heard, and, and we have to prepare. We have to do that through the election process. So now, especially with the amount of our registered voters that have doubled over the last ten years, clearly the Iowa caucuses will have a chance to amplify our voice mm-hmm. in the Iowa caucuses. Right now, we just received some funding from our national office to to register more voters from mm-hmm. our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, our goal is to get another additional twenty five thousand folks from our community registered to vote between now and the end of the so year. So what, what percentage of, uh, of uh, eligible voters are registered in the Latino community? We're at about 73 75% That's of eligible high. voters right now that right? are registered. Yes, it is. Isn't that as high as the it's much higher. large? Well, yeah, it, it's much higher because it's much higher than what has been discussed beforehand. Right. There used to be this feeling that only half of our people were richer to vote. Well, some folks, I, I mean, some folks I imagine would be afraid to do anything official because of the pushback from both official and unofficial segments. You know, actually, the fear has uh, converted into anger. So uh, many mm-hmm. of our young people, especially who have, who have registered to vote, want to make sure their voices have heard. And as you know, Ed, mm-hmm. we have a very young community in Iowa. Uh, our median age is 23. The overall age is 38 for the majority community. So we have a lot of young people who are speaking out, registering to vote, coming from mixed status families. I thought, I thought the average age in the uh, white community in Iowa was about 75. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be that way sometimes, <laughs> especially in rural Iowa. Yeah. yeah. But we want to engage. We're also going to have a presidential candidate forum uh, here in Des Moines on October 16th at the Iowa Events Center. We've mm-hmm. already reserved the ballroom to have that. We hope that we can get all the uh, presidential candidates to attend that event on October 16th. Mm-hmm. And we're also reaching out to uh, uh, the person in the White House to see if he will come. And we'll have a sit-down Good call. I don't. I would not hold my breath on that, but it's right. a good call. Exactly. Yeah. So the media, uh, the media has already been arranged for that event. So we're going to begin mobilization. Yeah. For How that. do you feel? Just speaking, Trump's response to the shooting in El Paso. How do you feel about that? Oh, it's terrible. I mean, uh, he was the one who caused it. Everything okay. that all his hateful rhetorics t- going back to 2015 has led to this point. In time. Some of the critics say that goes too far. That the that the that the uh, the shooter had many other issues, mental illness, and whatnot. How, how do you respond to those uh, that's, observations? That's a wrong assessment. I mean, we, we look at mental illness, something that is, occurs in every country around the world, uh, but we we never have anything like that in other countries like we do here in the U.S. So uh, the hateful rhetoric has, has mobilized uh, these folks who are probably mentally unstable yeah. to do these hateful things, and it's coming from the white community. It's not coming from the minority communities. Well, and one thing, you know, you, you don't see violent pushback from minority communities against uh, against largely white communities. I mean, 
At least, at least, I, if it's happened, I've missed it. I mean, you have isolated incident. We had a horrible incident here right. in Iowa, right, with a with a Latino immigrant who you know killed killed a woman. No, we don't. We don't but fight fire are, with fire. Yeah. That that is never the case. But clearly, we have to make our voices heard. Where we've been discussing about yeah. doing some freedom marches across the country. At this point in time, we need to make it very clear, and I'm sure that others uh, from other communities want to see this happen too. Is yeah. we have to speak out. We have to work in coalition with other groups to say enough is enough. And yeah. that's kind of one of the mantras that we're using right now. Yeah. Well, so the um, you know, the, the presidential campaign overall, we've seen, I think, some fairly positive discussion about immigration. Would you agree? It has been positive, but not enough. Julian Castro has the best uh, immigration uh proposal out there. Probably based on his experience, both personally and exactly. in a border state. Well, one one thing that's <clears throat> really clear about his proposal, and we're surprised that Beto O'Rourke didn't do the same thing coming from Texas, his proposal would take the uh, uh, legal status away from being an undocumented immigrant. It would refer to those who cross the border without the proper uh, paperwork as uh, that would be a civil issue handled in the civil courts. Uh, back in 1929 is when our country decided to make it uh, uh, a criminal offense to, to cross the border. Right. Before that point in time, it was just a civil offense. So uh, Castro has done a really good job on his proposal. We need to hear more discussion. I mean, we always hear from presidential candidates that they're going to find ways for comprehensive immigration reform. Right. But they've never really driven deep enough into the policies and the rules that exist within our laws here to change that. Do you feel that uh, any Democratic president will be able to lead us toward a, toward a meaningful you know, reform of immigration policy or uh, is, is it still a... Well, it's a yes-no yes, maybe, but clearly it, it, it would have to come from the Democratic Party side because we're not hearing it from the, from the Republican side. We right. haven't heard anything uh, from Trump and his uh, minions uh, about how to uh, resolve uh, immigration. There have been proposals out there that have really uh, attacked historically uh, immigration policy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, we need to hear it from the Democratic Party side especially if uh, they plan on having one of their own in the White House the next yeah. time around. Now, there's been some conversation about the confluence of immigration and climate. And we've seen that uh, the, the Asian and Latino sure. coalition uh, forums sure. have, have, uh, have, have provided that opportunity, too. And just a, you know, a couple examples, uh, what's happening in Honduras and the vast migration from Honduras. I'm sure there's political and mm -hmm. violence issues tied in with it, too. Right. But a big part of it is... We've got a we've got a drought there that is decimating uh, you know families farming families Correct. and not just in, in Honduras but other other Central American countries as well um, you know and then you've got the situation in Puerto Rico mm -hmm. the the devastating hurricane and the and the the anemic response of the Trump administration to that catastrophe but right. the reality is those catastrophes are going to continue um, I mean Haiti was hit really hard by both earthquakes and. And, right, and exactly. storms, and you know, and and not, and those things happen naturally, but they're happening with greater fury because of the intense warming that's going on in our planet. Well, we've been very concerned about that uh, within LULAC, our organization. We we have a group called Green Latinos that have been focused on uh, the climate change. And uh, that is one of the things that we are mobilizing on, one of the specific issues that we're uh, wanting the presidential candidates to address. We need to find ways to to fight back, to, to change the way in which things are done, to get away from fossil fuels. Uh, clearly, our community is impacted by that in Central America and South America. So, yes, we are addressing that, and yeah. that will be one of the questions that will be asked here in Iowa on October 16th. Good. Yeah. So what, what uh, is the, the Green Latinos movement? Is that uh, local? They've no, or is that uh, national? It's national. Green Latinos okay. have been around for about seven years now. So right. they're a group uh, working in coalition with LULAC and other Latino groups to really take on the environmental issues. Right. <clears throat> the environment has an impact on everything, jobs, health, education, and so forth. So we know that it's important that it has to be one of the things mm. that we demand change on. Yeah. And do you, do you see candidates who are understanding that confluence where immigration policy and climate policy come together? Not enough. Not enough. And it needs to be addressed more, and we need to have a deeper discussion. So mm -hmm. hopefully here in Des Moines on October 16th, we will have that more in-depth Do you have any candidates discussion. committed yet? 
we understand that Castro is going to commit and Bernie Sanders have committed, uh, but we'll find out more by the end of this week because the invitations just got sent out Great. today. All right. Well, I look yeah. forward to hearing more about that. Uh, by the way, Joe, the uh, you, I know you had the uh, an event at the same time, but the uh, Bold Iowa had a an event this mm-hmm, past weekend, Friday. and there were 259 votes cast for president. Now, again, Bold Iowa, uh, this was primarily an audience that was passionate about climate. Sure. So you would guess that maybe Jay Inslee might come out the winner of that. Mm-hmm. Well, here's, here's how it came out. Seven, 17% for Warren. Interesting. 13% for Sanders. Uh, hmm. 10% for Harris. Okay. Uh, 10% for Buttigieg. Uh, 8% for Inslee. Uh, 8% for Gabbard. Oh, sorry. Uh, 8, sorry. 8% for Inslee, 8% for Booker, and 7% for Gabbard. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's interesting. It is. It you know, is. It's, it, it actually, is. other than Biden being at 6%, it, it pretty <laughs> much mirrors the, uh, the, the, the state of the, uh, the, the other polls, except Biden right. is way out of it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. But, you know, the fact that Biden is, you know, what, 28% in, in most polls and 6% in, in ours – Leaves a lot of room for some other stuff to happen. Well, you're so. measuring real people where the polls necessarily measure <laughs> right, right. real people. Yeah. Joe, thank you for joining us. Uh, yes. Folks, we've been talking with Joe Henry. Thank you. If you're listening on our community-owned stations, we'll be back in a couple minutes. Again, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum, which you can always hear live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time on 1260 AM, 96.5 FM, and online on the Fallon Forum website. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host, broadcasting from Lorena in Des Moines, Iowa. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. So for folks who uh, don't live in Iowa, maybe this is of particular interest. I I assume it's going to be of interest to Iowans as well. You know, there have been lots of polls. There are national polls about how the presidential candidates are faring versus Trump or within the own – within the Democratic primary. Uh, There is the um, (laughs) – There are are polls for each of the first four states, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, Iowa. And then there are polls like the kernel, the the corn kernel poll at the state fair, which I actually um, think is lacking in credibility because you can go in and vote as many times as you want. You can just stop by and take as many kernels as you you want, drop them in there day after day after day, multiple times a day. I'm not sure how helpful that is because there are probably candidates who are trying to milk that. I think a better poll happened this past Friday in Des Moines at Ritual Cafe. It was a celebration of the Great March for Climate Action coming through Des Moines. uh, And um, marking that celebration was also an opportunity to talk about how climate change has been coming up during the presidential campaign. And a straw poll was taken. 259 votes were cast. And you would think... You would think this would be a biased audience because you've got folks there who are, you know, interested in, concerned about climate change. So you might think that maybe Jay Inslee won that poll. Well, surprise, surprise, he did not. In fact, he finished fifth. That that was fascinating to me <clears throat> because, again, I, I didn't quite know how it was going to turn out. But um, the the results of that poll are pretty consistent with what national polls are showing happening in Iowa with two big exceptions. Again, one of them that Inslee finished fifth, and the other was that Joe Biden finished eighth. So the winner of that poll, uh, Elizabeth Warren, 17%. uh, Bernie Sanders, 13%. uh, Both uh, Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg had 10%. Now, that's pretty consistent with with the, uh, the span that you see in polling nationally and polling in Iowa with the one notable exception that Biden is no longer on top. In, you know, in, in, the, in the national poll, he's at 28%. But the other, the other polling stays pretty much the same. And then in fifth, you have Inslee at 8%, tied with Booker at 8%, and in seventh place, Gabbard at 7%. So to me, the takeaways from this are, one, even though you've got a candidate, Jay Inslee, who is clearly the strongest when it comes to articulating climate as the central component of his campaign, 
even though you've got one candidate that really does that, that's not translating into support among Iowa caucus goers, even those who also identify climate as their top concern. That's interesting. It says a couple things to me. It says that maybe, you know, maybe Inslee's message is not resonating uh, strongly enough beyond the climate concern. It also suggests to me that perhaps he's not spending enough time getting out and about in Iowa, which really matters, really makes a big difference. Or third, and this may be the, the strongest component of this analysis, is that uh, enough of the other candidates, um, the other candidates have a strong enough position on climate that it neutralizes Inslee's focus as that being his top concern. And, you know, and to, I'll say, you know, Warren has um, come a long way on climate. Uh, she has moved from not talking about it much at all to talking about it extensively and, in fact, rolling out several position papers that specifically deal with components of the climate crisis. Uh, she did not talk about it at the state fair, which was interesting. We weren't quite sure what that was about. And then, of course, uh, Sanders in second place. Sanders has long talked about climate. He does tend to bury it in his list of priorities. And um, some folks feel that maybe that means it won't get the attention it needs in the Sanders presidency. Some are concerned that, well, he's going to be so focused on Medicare for all and to a, and, you know, to a lesser extent, um, tuition for all, that there will be no political capital left when it comes to dealing with climate change or anything else. That's, a, that's, not a, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an observation that warrants consideration. Now, um, Harris and Buttigieg, you know, Harris, they both talk about climate, and, and Buttigieg probably of the two of them has a stronger um, statement on his platform, on his, uh, on his website. But, um, you know, again, the polling here is very consistent with what we've seen in, you know, official polls. Again, Biden is in eighth in this poll, and then Castro is at 5%. And then at 3%, you have Yang, Gillibrand, Klobuchar, Williamson. And again, I think the, the key, the, the, the big difference here is climate voters don't like Joe Biden. They don't see him as having, as being a candidate they have confidence in when it comes to addressing the climate concern, the climate crisis. So that to me is fascinating. Um, because, you know, Biden has released a plan that is pretty good. Uh, he, it is a, a vast step forward from what he talked about prior to releasing the plan, and that was the, he, he was, I'll, I'll say, threatening to release a middle ground plan. Um, but again, there's the inconsistencies with Biden's previous track record on climate. Uh, uh, you know, his, his position as vice president during the Obama administration when, when, the, when, when Obama again, later on, boasted about having boosted oil production in the U.S. to make the U.S. the, uh, the uh, largest oil producer, oil and gas producer in the world. So, you know, Joe Biden has some of that around his neck. Um, and so, I, you know, that may be part of it. It may be just greater concerns. It may be concerns about Biden's self-described uh, tag as gaff machine, which, um, you know, received some play here nationally after a statement he made at the Asian and Latino Coalition where he talked about uh, poor kids being just as intelligent as white kids. Now, I was there when that happened, and he immediately backtracked, and he realized, oops, I gaffed, and he started describing, you know, what he really meant. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to cut him slack on that. I, I, don't, I don't see that as being, um, you know, anything egregious. It was just a slip, as was when Biden said, we want truth, not facts. <laughs> I, I know what he meant. We know what he meant. Truth, not lies. We choose truth over lies. We don't choose truth over facts. I know what he meant. It's clumsy. Um, he's always been a little clumsy. I think, actually, he's gotten clumsier. And I don't know whether that's a factor of age or the intensity of the campaign or what. But but then again, just was this yesterday? Uh, he, yeah, I think it was yesterday. Um, in Iowa, again, in Iowa, he told reporters that he was vice president during the massacre in Parkland, Florida. 
Well, looking at history, I mean, this is his exact quote was, those kids in Parkland came up to see me when I was vice president. Okay, so, you know, to... This, I mean, I don't, I don't even know where those kids came to see him, but he wasn't vice president at the time because Parkland happened a year and a half after Biden left office. So, you know, the biggest problem here, and maybe this is why he's polling so low in the bold Iowa poll, is that, you know, we may be, we Democratic caucus goers may be able to forgive and forget these mistakes, but the media is going to hang on to them. And Trump is going to hang on to them and feed off them. And the radical right-wing talk show hosts that dominate the public airwaves are going to hang on to every one of these statements. They've already been doing it. They're going to keep doing it. And if Joe Biden is the nominee, we may hear very little conversation about issues. We may hear a lot of conversation about these kinds of gaps, which is, again, unfair because that, that, those aren't the focus of what we need to do to fix this country. And you have Biden gaffing on one hand, and you have Donald Trump tweeting like a fiend on the other, saying things that no previous president could ever get away with saying. We'll see what happens with that. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host.